Subject tonight this loud man. Subject tonight is love. <laughs> I want to tie it a little bit to what we have been uh, discussing the first weeks of the year. The first night, at least that I led this year, I talked about the, I began describing in gen more general terms the, the noble eightfold path, what's called the fourth noble truth of the uh, Buddha's teaching. The fourth truth being this noble eightfold path that has three major elements to it. The purity or purification of our actions, uh, purification of mind, the quieting, the stilling, the steadying of our mind, the arousing of energy, and the, the training of our attention to, to uh, be sustained moment to moment, and then out of that coming the, the arising of wisdom and uh, wise intentions. When you see clearly how things are, naturally you start to incline toward toward that which will make your life happier and better and hopefully incline away from those things that make your life difficult and you will see, uh, you will act in ways that are in harmony with, uh, with nature, with, what, uh, with those things that lead to happiness, uh, recognizing that when we act with ill will, hatred, we get one result, we act with love, we get another. We act driven by, by greed, we get one result. The same action driven by uh, compassion and goodwill, we get a very different result. And we, we understand if we open to life as it is with clarity of perception that life is tough, that what, what makes it um, more difficult, what turns it into a, a lot of mental distress is our intense reactions to it. And those reactions can be mitigated by attention and love. And that we can actually live this life that is challenging, we can live it with a, a sense of ease, of balance, and and, and be able to be free and express, express love. Uh, instead of being bound up uh, moment by moment in our internal drama, in our narrow, very narrow focus uh, of our life. So I talked about the pure, purity of action, purity of mind, and purity of view. And I was thinking tonight about that and, and what happened to me at the beginning of this year and I was checking to see whether I, I was on my game or not or whether I was actually just talking about the teachings and whether I was actually practicing. And I remembered that, and I may have shared this the, the first time I was here, but I remember I shared this story, the, the first uh, retreat that I led at the beginning of the year. And some of you in the room were at that retreat. But on my way to lead the retreat the, on the 6th of January, I stopped in a, at a um, gymnastics class that my daughter uh, takes every Tuesday. And I pulled up into the parking lot and, and let my tires hit the, the little stopper, or whatever they call it, the, what do they call those things? Things that stop your tires. 
And I said hello to my daughter, said goodbye to my daughter, knowing I'd be gone for the next five days to lead this retreat. And as I pulled my car out of the spot, my bumper came off with the little stopper. The bumper fell off onto the ground. And, and in that moment, I realized this is, and I'm using this example because it's something that stuff happens to us like this. I'm not giving the most severe example. I'm not talking about having my home burned down right now. But every day, we are faced with what the Buddha called dukkha, things that are hard, to, things that are stressful, hard to bear, that aren't easy, that they're not just right, they're, that things are, things are um, just off. They ha things happen. Everything, everything breaks. Everyone ages. You know, we lose things. We don't look the same every day. We don't act the same. Everything is, is in flux and unstable and unreliable. That's, that's life. So here I was with this experience of my bumper falling off and on a schedule to go to the retreat. And I realized I started to feel a kind of anxiousness, a kind of, uh, I felt tense and I, and I was, uh, I didn't want this to be happening and didn't know exactly what to do. And, and so I realized in that moment, and because I, I was, I had been thinking about the retreat, I go, oh, this is, this is dukkha. This is the first noble truth. So when we think of these truths and what we actually have to deal with in order to, to fulfill the practice of love, the freedom of the heart, of being able to, to be with life as it is, it's really in these very moments of our life. It's not just some kind of ultimate, ultimate realization. There are many very ultimate realizations and many, many deep epiphanies one can have, but the, the practice where the rubber meets the road are in these simple moments of dukkha, of the first noble truth. And there I was experiencing noble truth number one. And, and I naturally, because I've been practicing this for many years, I looked to see what was, um, you know, the basic dukkha of discomfort or, you know, wishing things were otherwise or whatever. But what was really causing the mental distress is I wanted this to be different than the way it was. And I, that was expressing itself as real aversion to having to deal with this bumper having fallen off and all the cascading thoughts that flow from that reactivity, the thoughts that, oh, this is an old car, it's now 17 years old, the bumper's fallen off before, <laughs> I've put it back on many times, it's now hanging on, it was hanging on two screws, now it's hanging on one screw. And uh, so I noticed that this, the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, is I want this to be different than the way it is. And once I noticed that and felt the distress that was caused by my aversion, the whole, because I met it, I mixed that experience with mindful attention, with interest. It, the waves of distress began to ease and then that's the third noble truth. There's a cessation to the mental suffering that comes. And that cessation is available to us. 
the, the easing of our mental distress, an actual feeling of letting go, a feeling of being able to still the situation was what it was to sit in the middle of it, but be without suffering at that moment. And we are faced with that a thousand times a day. That's, the, that's an option for us to be able to find freedom and ease of letting go, a return of our goodwill, even in the midst of things that we'd rather have other than they are. So by virtue of being attentive to that whole process, not adding to it with... Uh, with striking out at someone or, or um, checking out or just going unconscious, by virtue of actually attending to that experience of the first noble truth, the second noble truth, and the third noble truth, I was fulfilling the practice of the fourth noble truth, which is the Eightfold Path, the center of which is the practice of mindful attention and loving kindness the navigator, the rudder of our whole path is mindfulness in the face of mindfulness, the face of a mind that is not interfering, not, um, not reactive, not um, taking everything so personally, not building a, a, a whole narrative about uh, why does this happen to me, it's not fair, whatever my mind does. A mind that is seeing things as they are the face of that is, is goodwill. Is, I re, it's a return to love. It's a return to a sense of, I'm not just caught up in this little thing. I'm actually here. I'm able then to notice the context. And it turns out that being able to notice the context that I was in, I happened to be on a street where Mega Gym is in San Rafael. is right next to, a, to an auto repair shop. <laughs> I went in there, they put my bumper back on and off. You know, that had a happy ending. It doesn't always have a happy ending. But at least, even if there wasn't a happy ending, there is a way that we can find our, find our, um, our bearings, our, find our footing, even in the middle of it all. This is the potential of our practice, and it's really a matter of where, of, of whether or not we um, are present for our experience and what we, how we, what we practice day in and day out. And so that's for the month of January, I've been encouraging everyone to train moment to moment from the moment you wake up till the time you go to sleep. Train your attention to be present and knowing that the, the fruit of that is that you will, you will feel regardless of how crazy the external circumstances are, no matter what your life situation, then in the middle of it, you can notice a kind of, even with one little moment of attention, you can notice a stilling, a kind of steadying, a quieting, that, that you may even be able to recognize that, that the very nature of your mind is quiet if you are not looking ahead and not looking back all the time. You'll notice when you're simply present, there is a fragrance, there's a, there's a quality of silence and peace that's, that's you. And it also, as I said, makes you more available if you're here. And when you're available, your heart is, um, is, um, is available to feel the the sustenance of connection with our life, 
connection with the elements of our own mind and body, earth, air, fire, water, the, the connection with each other, the connection with the suffering of the world, which, which melts our heart and also allows us to, to be more present in our lives. And at the same time, it helps develop this quality of, of equanimity. So this is what the Buddha suggested in the middle-length teachings, the middle-length sutras. One of the sutras, he said, develop a a state of mind that is like the earth, Rahula. This is his conversations with Rahula. Rahula was his son, by the way. For on the earth people throw clean and unclean things, dung and urine, spittle, pus and blood, and the earth is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And as you grow like the earth, no contacts with pleasant or unpleasant will lay hold on your mind and stick to it. So in other words, things won't be so sticky. Similarly, if you should develop a state of mind like water, For people throw all manner of clean and unthink things into water, and it is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And similarly with fire, which burns all things clean and unclean, and with air, which blows upon them all, and with space, which is nowhere established. Develop a state of mind of friendliness. Rahula, for as you do so, ill will will grow less, and of compassion, for thus vexation will grow less, and of joy, for thus aversion will grow less, and of equanimity, for thus repugnance will grow less. So as you settle into an aware presence, your mind, earth, steady like the earth, impervious like fire, flowing like water, spacious and impartial like the, like the air, like the space. What also flows are these qualities, what are called the Brahma Viharas, the, the divine abodes, the heavenly, uh, the heavenly abodes, the, the qualities of every single human heart uh, that are the natural expressions of being awake and aware. Those qualities are first universal loving-kindness, which is contrasted from just our ordinary sentimental kindness where we feel love just for uh, those nearest and dearest or the people who we approve of. This universal loving-kindness casts an impartial um, net around all beings without exception. That's its potential. And each of us, because in the same way that we're untrained in our attention, we're also untrained in our heart being open and vacuous, reaching its potential as we often set up so often what we like against what we don't like, who we like against who we don't like, and caught up in views and opinions and, and tunnel vision desires for the, the next, yeah, it also often comes to me when I give these talks, the next um, technological 
gadget, whatever it is, we're always in pursuit of the next experience, the next weekend, the next job, the, whatever it is. And often uh, what, what happens is that quality of, of boundlessness, of openness is diminished. So what we do in our practice and what the Buddha suggested as he said in the Metta Sutra, the Sutra about the development of loving-kindness, he says, for those who are skilled in goodness, because we've established purity of action, everybody here is, has, and I hope you are, if you haven't, I hope this is very central in your life, that you are establishing purity of action, that you are practicing every day Wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, that you're not causing harm, that you are opening your, that you are a, a field, a conscious field in your life of harmlessness and blamelessness. But he says, for those who are skilled in goodness and know the path of peace, and what I just described over the last weeks is the path of peace. A path, a path that leads to the, the liberation of the heart, the cessation of grasping. If you follow the Four Noble Truths, there is an end to suffering. And there is a path. And we follow it moment by moment. So if you know a path of goodness, know the path of peace, this is what you should do. This is what the Buddha suggests you should do. Be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. How are you doing so far? <laughs> straightforward and gentle in speech. Good place to start. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties, <laughs> frugal in their ways, in your ways. How are you doing? Now these are not meant to be commandments. They're meant to be, it's meant to, to shine a light on, on, your, on how you are, how you're being. Is how you are being, how you are living your life, in harmony with nature? Is it, in, is it onward leading toward more happiness and balance and peace? Or is it, or is it uh, especially if we're caught up in our own self-aggrandizement, self-importance, conceited, in, you could say, that's a, that's a treadmill. There's no end to that because it's building a, a monument to something that has no, has no roots. Our identity view is just empty. It's without any kind of substantiality, and yet we can devote a lot of time to looking good. But it doesn't work. Somebody's going to say, you don't look so good. You're not such a hot shot. I remember when, you know, taking this seat, you know, over, over many years, occasionally somebody would, would come in and, and just very aggressively say, you don't know what you're talking about. And in the early years, I noticed 
that I was I was very busy needing to be perceived as having something useful to say. <laughs> and I would just crumble at the face of somebody saying, you're an idiot. And so it was a very interesting practice to see how much identity view had gotten caught up, how much this, this role would, I would get hooked into the identity view of being the one who's supposed to know something. And so you hear this teaching, conceited, that's conceited. It's having a, a view of, be, of being above, below, or equal to others. It's that measuring mind that says, you know, how am I doing? And that, it's never brought anyone peace. It's just brought instability and insecurity. And it's all based on an idea. So getting back to contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm. How are we doing? Not bad right this moment, are you? <laughs> Don't overlook this. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. It's very skillful, I think, to spend time supporting other people practicing and being supported. Wise and skillful. Good use of your time, I think. Not proud and demanding in nature. I'll read it as it's written. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. So he's saying engage, if you're going to engage your, your conceptual mind, your, if you want to orient your attention on something, orient your attention and your thoughts toward gladness, toward the wishing for other beings, including yourself, to live in gladness and in safety. Notice what happens when you just, in a stealth, quiet way, scan the room and wish everyone well. And tune into the fact that they were born, they're vulnerable to the first noble truth, that they all want to be happy just like you and all want to be free of suffering. That's what connects us all. And wish each person here to live in gladness and in safety. And he continues, may all beings be at ease. Wishing everyone here to be at ease, to live with ease. I really want all of you to live with ease. And, and I don't do this in order for that to gladden my heart, but it really does. It just, it makes my heart quiver, that desire for you to live in peace, in gladness, in safety. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, this is a fierce practice. Is there anyone who you exclude from your field of loving kindness and caring 
well-wishing, that they live in gladness and safety and at ease. Now maybe it's easy to feel that toward everyone in this room, even the people that you have maybe in this room who you have complicated or difficult relationships with. But think of the politicians. Think of the perpetrators in this world. Think of those who, who are not so easy to love, who are, who are, na- are not able to love and, and create suffering because their hearts are so bound up in conceit or in, in confusion or in the, the ravages of hatred. Can you hold them in your field of loving kindness? And this is the direction, as we, we don't judge ourselves when we feel that there's a limitation to that. We just keep, keep extending, keep using it as, a, as a, a purification practice, as a way of seeing where the limits of our loving kindness are. And slowly, slowly, our mind, our heart gets filled with with, uh, with that well-wishing, where it just pops up on its own, no matter where you are. When you're driving, this is one of my practices, I've talked a lot about it here. It's, it's uh, may you be happy, may you be happy, I love you, I love you. Because before I started doing that, it was pure aggression and complaint. And oh, and tailgating, and you know, just <laughs> terrible. It's so much more relaxing to go. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy. It's almost impossible to be aggressive and have that flow, have that flowing through my consciousness. It's not so. It's not rocket science. It's not so far away. It's a matter of way, the, the way that we incline our mind because this quality is an unconditional quality. It's not a conditioned quality. Conditioned qualities are those qualities that, that, that are just there from being practiced. This is an unconditional quality. So it's simply a matter of turning toward that quality and then it, it comes quite naturally by itself. Of course, we can call that movement of our attention to incline toward loving-kindness, that is conditioned, whether we're inclined in that way. But the quality itself of love is just innate in our being. And we just have to remind ourselves, may you be happy, may you be happy, may you be happy. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away. I, I love this line, which could be a whole Dharma talk in itself, this line, the seen and the unseen. There are so many beings who we do not see due to our own preoccupations, due to the shroud of our own, uh, our own culture, our own privilege, whatever it is, there are beings in our very midst who we don't see. And just to, be, just to remember that, uh, that we're not alone here, 
the deepest meaning of the word emptiness or non-self is the understanding that we do not exist independently apart from each other, that we inter are with everything. So no matter how, no matter even if you have one small little speck of dust of sense of there being beings in this world who are suffering, beings in this world who are causing suffering, people who are, are in circumstances that are, that are difficult, different views, cultures, if you have even a slight difference, they, we, we have to, at some point in the span of our life, come to understand that they don't exist apart from us. As uh, the great teacher Nagarjuna said, said, you are not the same as, you are not the same, nor are you different from all that you depend on. And that's everything. Everything depends on everything else. You are not the same, nor are you different from that which you depend. You are neither severed from, no matter how much we live in our little bubbles, we are not separate from, nor are we forever fused with everything. We're, it's everything is connected. And he said, this is the deathless teaching. This is the, the teaching of non-separateness, of interdependence, of everything affecting everything. And so one of those places that was, was shocking to me when I started practicing loving-kindness is the, the traditional, the traditional uh, recitations were to include, as, at some point in, the, in your practice, to include what we would call the neutral person. Somebody you don't feel one way or the other about. You don't either love them or you don't not like You just don't even notice them. They're as though they don't even exist. They're just not part of your orbit. And to find somebody that you, in your orbit, that you would call the neutral person, somebody you see every day, and then to start to wish them well. And it was amazing how within a few moments, literally, that I started to direct loving kindness to somebody I'd be oblivious to, that same feeling, that same unconditional feeling of goodwill came toward that person. So we have this capacity to have our heart be as big as the world, but we tend to live in a little narrow bubble. So this is saying to exclude no one, the seen and the unseen. Those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another or despise any being in any state. Oh, I already said that. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing, walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection 
This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from the dependency on sense desires, is not born again into the world of suffering. So as I think all this can be summed up in the words of if I can find it here, kind of use the technology for this, in the words of the ecstatic poet Hafez in his poem entitled Admit Something. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me, love me. Of course, you don't say this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. <laughs> Still, though, think about this. This great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. So just to punctuate this a little bit more, another sutra entitled and this is from the Itavutaka. <laughs> the sutras or discourses, teachings from the Buddha. This is entitled, The Value of Loving Kindness. It, and one of the things you need to know about the sutras is they, they're repetitive. Because this is an oral tradition and that was one of the ways that people digested them because they weren't written down. So here. No one... None of the means employed to acquire religious merit, O monks, has a sixteenth part of the value of loving-kindness. Loving-kindness, which is freedom of heart, absorbs them all, it glows, it shines, it blazes forth. And in the same way, O monks, as the light of all the stars has not a sixteenth part of the value of the moonlight, but the moonlight absorbs it and glows and shines and blazes forth in the same way. O monks, none of the means employed to acquire religious merit has a sixteenth part of the value of loving kindness. Loving kindness, which is freedom of heart, absorbs them all. It glows, it shines, it blazes forth. And in the same way, O monks, as at the end of the rainy season, the sun rising into the clear and cloudless sky banishes all the dark spaces and glows and shines and blazes forth in the same way again. As at night's end, the morning star glows and shines and blazes forth. So, O monks, none of the means employed to acquire religious merit has a sixteenth part of the value of loving kindness. Loving kindness, which is freedom of heart, absorbs them, it glows, it shines, it blazes forth. So let's just be quiet for a moment and do a short period of first enveloping ourselves in kind and loving thoughts.
dropping words into this field of loving attention, words that express those, the deepest wishes that we have for ourselves. May I be happy and peaceful. May I feel safe and protected from inner harm, from outer harm. May I have health and strength and may I accept my limitations with grace. May I have ease in my heart and a sense of well-being. May my heart be filled with kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. And then letting the field of loving attention widen to include everyone in this room, this neighborhood, this city, this state, country, all directions throughout the world. As I want to be happy, peaceful, safe, healthy, strong, have ease in my heart, may all beings everywhere without exception know happiness and peace and the causes of happiness, peace growing in their lives. May all beings feel safe with themselves and safe with others. May all beings have as much health and strength as possible given the limitations of our bodies. And may all beings live with ease. And may my practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare, benefit, to the awakening of loving kindness in all beings. May all beings be liberated, know the freedom of heart which is love. you for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. I hope to see all of you, even though I don't think that's possible, but I hope to see all of you on Saturday at the Mindfulness Care Center. And please be mindful and please practice loving kindness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.